I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. All right, our text that we've been using for the last several weeks is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. The Bible says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it loses, if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Somebody say worthless. By virtue of the fact that you're here today, God don't consider you worthless. Amen? And, and, and therefore, because you know you're not worth, worthless, you should let nobody or nothing trample you on their feet. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. Look what he says in 14, 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot, can't nobody hide you. You're supposed to shine wherever you go. Amen. You cannot be hidden. He says, now no one lights a lamp and then put it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Everybody you come in contact should be exposed to the light that you carry. Can I get another amen right there? In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Amen? You may be seated. But this is going to be our third sermon in the series that we've entitled, Be a Good Encourager. And I said that I can imagine uh, because the magnitude of social media and the platforms that are out there, there are the, the ability and the capability for people to flood the airwaves with content. And sometimes the content that they put out there may not always be good, but some is necessarily, unnecessarily is good. But what I want you to see is that when these people get in a position to be able to influence others by the things they say and the things they do, we need to understand that God has given us the same capability to be influencers for him. You know, in this past week, I was just looking out there, and this is not for the older folk in here, but this is for you to share with your grandchildren or your children. You know, because some of our kids are being influenced by some negative things. And one of the things I ran across is something called chroming. And I'm saying, what is chroming? And, and it has something to do with lead-based paint. And the chromium that's in the paint, these kids are now sniffing the chromium. Don't realize that someone is influencing them to do something that could kill them. Now, that took me back to my days. It only did about once or twice. When we used to put glue in a bag and do the same thing. The difference is when we did it with two or three in my neighborhood, we couldn't influence the world. We just influenced our neighborhood. But these people now with just one screenshot and one minute on, you know, on the social media network, they can influence children to start chroming. The other thing I found out this week is there's a challenge out there where they're challenging kids to suffocate themselves. I mean, just hold their breath or put their you know, head in the bag until they just pass out. Not knowing that some of them are going to pass out and they're going to wake up. But those are the type of things that's out there that's influencing our kids and young people. And as 
good influences, we need to make sure that we counter all the crazy stuff that is out there. God expects us to be influencers in the world that he's placed us in, whether it's in our families, in the, our social uh, networks, as well as amongst our friends and even on our job. God wants you to be an influencer. Now, the influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone or something. Now, in the past two weeks, we've been looking at this influence thing, and so for those of you who are new, online or in person, I just say go back and catch part one and part two because I think you'll see the connecting dots so that this will make sense to you. But today, we're going to look at influence and from another capacity. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 through 5 when I get there. Here we find the Apostle Paul was using his influence to encourage the Corinthian church to follow through on their pledge to give benevolently, benevolently to, some, to the struggling churches that were in Jerusalem. And the initial enthusiasm that this church had, I mean the Corinthians, they heard the word about supporting the poor churches in Jerusalem, they got excited. And they said, man, we're going to do this, we're going to collect the money, we're going to send it to them. But a year later, that excitement had started to die down. And what he was trying to say is that when you got excited at first, other churches who didn't even have the means that you have, because Corinthian church was a well-off church. It was prestigious. They had power. They had a little wealth in there. And so therefore, there were poor churches that heard about them, and they said, hey, we want to help the poor too. And now he's saying, if you guys start waffling, you're going to look bad and make me look bad because I've been telling everybody about what you plan on doing, and then all of a sudden now, you don't have a change of heart. Sometime when it comes to, now this ain't tithing offering right here. I'm talking about benevolent giving. So don't connect this to tithes and offer. I'm talking about sometime when people have a need and you have the capability to meet that need, then you can be an influencer by doing what God has placed in your heart and you can have an influence on the life of that person that you're helping out. Everything that you have and God has blessed you with is not just for you. Amen. And I know sometimes we wait till seasonal to do things charitable, like, you know, making donations to all the funds out there. That's fine. But every now and then you got to intentionally Look for opportunity, especially if God has blessed you with the means to. Because we're going to see here that giving benevolent is a ministry. Amen. And for some of you, that is your ministry. Let me read this. He says this in verse 1. I really don't need to write to you about the ministry. Somebody say the ministry. This ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager, somebody say eager, I know how eager you were to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that, it, that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm, somebody say enthusiasm. He says it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. They didn't even have what you have but they heard about you doing it, and because of that, that influence caused them to want to be able to give and saw it as an honor to be able to give to someone to help them out of their situation that may be destroying their lives. And so when God bless you, man, and you're able to do something to help somebody, you ought to see it as an honor. And if you tell somebody that you're going to help them, 
three months later, don't forget about it. Don't go back on your... Because when it comes to benevolent giving, God is not commanding you. This is something that he placed on your heart to do. And then as he placed it on your heart, then you got to go forth. And when you go forth, you got to go forth with the right attitude. Oh, let me read on. So the church in Macedonia believers began to give. He said, now look, but I am sending these brothers, this is verse 3, to be sure you are really, that you really are ready. As I have began telling them that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. Now that seemed kind of tough. Paul looked like he put together a little guilt trip. I don't went out there and told him about, you know, you know, y'all gonna be some big donors. And then a year later, y'all got amnesia. And, and you know, I put y'all on a pedestal. I lift y'all up. I, you know, I kind of gave y'all good honor because you were serving God with your abilities to give. And then all of a sudden now, a year later, you got second thoughts? Man, I got to talk to you. I got to encourage you. Don't forget that your word means something. Amen. Now, he's talking to the Corinthians. He ain't, you know, he ain't talking to you, so you ain't got to look so serious. But, but just in case you, your word is out there, you need to make good what you said. So that's my job today is I'm not trying to embarrass you because I didn't put your word out there. I didn't put you out there. But maybe if I had heard you and I knew you said it and the Lord bring you to my spirit, then I got to come talk to you. And say, you got to keep your... Get real quiet right there. Let me move on. He says, we would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment. If some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. Good God Almighty, man. One, I just bring brother, you know, bring brother JP with me, and I done told him how good y'all are, and y'all benevolent offering, and he show up, and y'all ain't even got the money ready. <laughs> I know talking about money is squeamish in church, but the Bible talk about it. And you have the resources sometime to be able to bless others. And when you are in that position, you ought to see it as your ministry. Look at this. And this is the key part I want you to get. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead, this verse 5 of me, to make sure the gift you promised is ready. The gift you promised. There are a lot of things we make promises toward, and therefore when we make those promises, we need to be ready to fulfill the promise. Amen. Now, the next sentence starts with but. But let you off the hook. Because he was kind of coming at him hard, telling him embarrassed, you're going to be embarrassed. Now he said, but. But going to let some of y'all off the hook. He says, but I want it to be a willing gift. You got the resources, but now you must be not one grudgingly. Not one given grudgingly. In other words, if you're not willing, don't do it. Because if you're doing it grudgingly, you're going to be resenting the fact that you did it. And all you're going to do, I gave it. Y'all done heard me say this before. Keep it. If you're going to complain and moan and, ground, ground, uh, and, and, and groan about it, just keep it. 
Man, the person ain't going to be blessed when they hear you grumbling and complaining because you had to share your wealth and give them $100. And now you're you going to throw that away on something else anyway. So your heart got to be right even when it comes to giving. Give from the right heart. Even when you're giving to your children. Give from the right heart. Don't make them think that you're giving to them grudgingly. The minute you give it to them, they got to hear you complain. I could have did that with that. I could have. And I hope your children turn around and look at you and say, you should have just kept it. I hope they listen to me today. So when you hear your mamas and dads say, talk like that after they gave you a lounge, you just tell them, just keep it. I go out here and cut some grass. Before I let you act like that, when your gift is supposed to be willing. You gave it to me because you were. I'm just telling you what the word said. Now, now let me move on. I know that we're going to go over too well, so let me go over to influence and relationship. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I knew that part was going to be some tough slaying through that, but that's okay. I done got through it now. It's on your heart. Some of you got the gift. You just need to start walking in that gift. Amen. I almost said, if you know you got the gifts, just say amen by yourself so we can identify all these folks who are sitting on that. I can almost look around here and look and just say, yeah, 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 you got it. <laughs> now I just need to encourage you to give it. Willingly. Ah. I didn't have you in my notes, so don't get upset. I just did that on the spur of the moment, but you know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we want to talk about influence in relationships. Now, Wednesday night, we just so happy we're going to be on this chapter in Bible study, so I'll have to go deeper there, but here I just want to hit one part of it. In this chapter, what we talk about relationships, is like if you are married or in a relationship with someone who is not saved, you have to use your influence to affect affect their salvation. Now, Paul had been asked a question about marriage and in the first part of this chapter, and he made it known that if it was up to him, all of y'all would be celibate. Amen. You know, he, <laughs> because he saw celibacy as a gift. And so he was wise enough to know everybody ain't got that gift. Somebody say amen. If y'all got children, I know you ain't got that gift. If you done had sex before, I know you ain't got that. Y'all ain't got to get quiet. That's what celibate. So he was encouraging them, saying, look here, if you know you can't remain that way, then it's better for you to get married so you don't burn with your lust. I mean, because you know they eat you up if, you ain't got, if it ain't a gift. That's why in the, in the, in the Catholic Church, preach, priests take vows of celibacy. They feel like that's a calling. That's a gift. And Paul said, I know who live in Corinth. I know what y'all do down there. I know what y'all come out of. I know how y'all even worship in Corinth. So for me to think that all you guys going to live celibate, I'm out, I'll be out of my mind. But if by chance you do get married, and you marry somebody that is an unbeliever, you just can't haul off and leave because you done got saved. 
Now, ideally, in a perfect world, two Christians would meet each other, same value system, and say, hey, we're going to get married, and we know we're locked in. But in the world that we live in, a spiritual checklist is not often run before we marry. We run the physical checklist. And so sometimes the physical checklist gets us hooked up with some folks spiritually that we don't connect with. But when that union has taken place, God see marriage so serious, he said, once you have made that vow, that commitment to that, you need to hang in there, even though the person that you married is not saved. And now it's your responsibility to try to win them over by how you act. If you're dating someone, this, is, this message is for you, man. Look, you need to find all this out before you get married. Find out where your fiancé or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever is before. Ask the tough questions before. And if you're dating someone that's not saved, you're already on shaky ground. Because now you're unequally yoked to somebody. Now, if you know that on the front end, you really need to be serious before you go prancing down the aisle. Because once you take the vows, that's a promise there, no. To death do us. So if you're going to make that level of commitment, you need to check them out on the front end. But just in case you're married. Now, you're going to have to hang in there as long as that unbeliever wants to stay with you. Whether they come to church, whether they even watch us online, whether they even say grace over their food. Y'all got to come back on Wednesday when we get this. I can go deeper, but look at it. I'm going to start in verse 7. So, I mean, verse 12. So he says this. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I did not have a direct command from the Lord. If a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing, somebody say willing. That's that word again. Willing to continue living with him, he must not leave. Even though some better come by that look better, they ain't spiritually better, they look better. Since you ain't saved, I'm finna just go trade in and get another model. Paul said you can't do that. You in it for the long haul. Because you made a vow to God. Amen? Now look, if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave. Mm, mm, mm. Somebody say, you just stuck? Paul said, you just stuck? Keep praying, keep believing, keep living right before him and hope you're going to get some good results. Because unless you got grounds, you just... I know you ain't going to agree with that day because divorce is so easy to come by. I mean, it don't take less than 30 days for something. You've been in the state of Florida. You fill out a little package and 30 days later, you could be single if y'all ain't fighting each other. But because man's law allow you to wiggle out of something that quick, God said he still see that as serious. It is so serious that he will ask a believer to stay connected to a non-believer believing that that believer can influence that non-believer to accept Jesus. 
this making any sense to anybody? So look at this. Verse 14. For the Christian wife bring holiness to her marriage, and the Christ Christian husband bring holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy. But now they are holy. One person in a marriage has enough influence to make the whole family holy. And God says it's worth it for you to stay there because you can have an impact on the people that's in your family right now and you have the potential to allow them to accept salvation. One person. You may be that person in your household right now. You sitting up here in church. Your children are here. Your husband are here. Your wife ain't here. But you here. And you're supposed to be that influence to go back to your circle of people and try your best to live before them in a way that will make them want to accept Jesus. Amen. Now, let me get, be clear here. This ain't got nothing to do with abuse. And you're married to a fool. Because if you're married to a fool, he beating you up every weekend and all that craziness, then I don't think God wants you to be no punching bag. So I'm talking about, bro, just, just ain't the church type guy. He just rather sit at home and every now and then just have a corona and wait for you to get home. But he work hard, meet all your needs. You stuck. Y'all got me laughing right there. Y boy, boy, if y'all can see y'all faces right now. <laughs> but anyway, let me read on. Now, in, in verse 15, he says, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, somebody say insist. In other words, they demand, I want out, I want out, I'm just tired of you. He said, let them. So if you marry somebody like that, then they insist, hey, I'm tired of you, I'm ready to go, I'm tired of this Jesus, you every Sunday you come on trying to win me over, show me what pastor talked about this week, got notes for me, look here, I want out of here. Okay, buddy. I got to let you, I, I, why I need to let you go? Because I want to hold on to my peace. <laughs> let, look at this. He said, let them go. In such case, the Christian husband and wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in, man, in marriage, you ought to have a little bit of peace in your house every day, all the time. Nobody want to be in a relationship where there is no always war and always fight. No. But if you married to an unbeliever and you go home and there's peace, praise God. I would love it if you would come to fellowship with me and go here with me, but look here. When I'm at home with you, I get So you want to live in peace. Amen. Now look at this. This is the question that, that kind of caught my attention. He says, don't you wives realize that your husband might be saved because of you? And don't you husband realize that your wives might be saved because of you have influence to be able to turn your family, to turn your husband or your wife in a, to a direction that will lead them to Jesus. But the key thing is you got to live right before them. You can't come off of it here and be holy and go home and cutting the food. 
Praise the Lord. Glad to see you today. May the Lord be with you. Sounds good in here. But when you get home, you ain't do this. And man, you should have did that. I thought I told. That ain't the way you're supposed to ask. If man or woman, hey, look, baby, I've been to church, had a good time. Baby, I love you. I'm just glad to be back home with you. What do you want to do today? Whatever you want to do, I'm here to satisfy you. Because I want some peace. Y'all come on Wednesday night. He even worse than that on Wednesday night. This is just on the top, sir. I'm telling you. Man, this marriage thing is serious. And some of you, we got children who are about to make that decision. You need to have them to read this before they go down the aisle. Because once they commit, God sees it as a lifelong commitment. Well, let's go see how Peter addressed this in 1 Peter. This is the last time. I know this marriage thing wasn't going to go too good. Ladies, let me, let me get out in front of this one right here. Please, don't put your guard up when I read this. It, don't put your guard up. Don't fight, don't fight this part of the scripture right here. Please don't do it. It's not, I ain't got nothing to do with the fact that God got an order for his family. Order. I, I can't help it that in his eyes, he see the man as the head of the, in God's eyes. I know you make more money than he does. Got a better education. That's okay. You got peace with him? Yeah. But let him have the authority that God gives him. Because in God's eye, he is the authority figure of the household. And I told you a couple weeks ago, you just need to be a good influencer of the person who got the authority. And if you have influence over him, his authority become your. You ain't got to fight him for it. Just influence him. And he gonna listen to you. He is wired to listen to you. Your forefather, Adam, listened to Eve. Your great, 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 great granddad, Abraham. Listen to Sarah. Both of them knew exactly what God said. But when the women and their wives got in their ear, they forgot what God said. So ladies, I'm here to inspire you. You have influence over your husband. Just let him run around and think he's the power ranger for a little bit. Give him the power. Because we're going to trip on it. I told you this three weeks ago. We're going to trip on that power thing. Give him the power. As long as he ain't abusing his power, you're going to be all right. You got to trust God now. As long as he's not abusing it. They don't make you a step stool. Don't make you a slave. Don't make you inferior to him. So if you're married to a man and he's not abusing his power, let him exercise his authority in the relationship. I know it's hard. I know that's hard. <laughs> what? God said that. Not Pastor Boulder. Can I read this now? Now, even though this principle is aimed right at women, it is also applicable to relationships in general. 
If you're married to a non-believer, you got to be that influencer. But here the issue with women, because it looked like a lot of the women got saved before their husband did. I think that play out a lot today. Lady Jeanette was serious about God before I was. Amen. I mean, I was gambling on Sunday when she was going to church. So eventually, you know, she won the day. And I ended up in church. And from that, I credit her. I mean, I'm in here standing teaching y'all. From gambling to preaching. All because of the influence. of a woman who put up with me until I decided to start following her to church. So look at this. So she had to live this. Verse 3 in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, In the same way, you wives must, somebody say must, accept the authority of your husband. Not my not shall, must. He is the authority figure. Ladies, can I get an amen? I didn't hear that that loud. I ain't one over here, one over there. Can the married lady just say, amen, amen. Y'all just saying, God, I agree with you. I know sometimes it's hard to accept the authority if you're married to a dictator. But here he ain't talking about Idi Amin. He talking about a guy who still provides peace for you. Amen. And so he says, you must accept the authority of your husband. Not every man that comes in your life, but your. Then, even if some husbands refuse to obey the good news, your godly life will speak to them without any words. See, the question is, after you leave church and you go home to your unsaved husband, how do you speak? Or you go home to your unsaved wife, how do you speak? Do you speak to them in a godly way that will influence them to that to they want to be and have what you have? How do you speak? Because if we live before them in a godly way, righteous, trying our best to be holy, trying to be, you know, live, not living a, a morally impure life before them. He says, you can win them over without any words. You know, that means that you can go home and just be silent and do what you're supposed to do in accord with your position in the family. You ain't got to say a whole lot. And ladies, I know I don't want to be critical right here because I know y'all going to come at me hard because we live in a different generation that women just don't, don't accept this today. I got it. I got you. I feel you. I get you. But look here. Many words don't move a man. You can't. You move a man by going home and rubbing his head. Baby, look here. <laughs> you the best thing that ever happened to me. You, I mean, I don't know where I would be without you. We've been in this thing for 20 years. I'm just so, I'm just so glad that the Lord brought you in my life. 
then now when you ask the brother to do something, you may get some result. You just can't come at us hard. Because when you do, we see that as a challenging authority. And when you come at authority hard, authority got to exert its power. I knew this wasn't going to go over, but, but this is talking about influence. I knew it was going to be tough when I was writing this down. I said, they ain't going to like this, but this is what you say, God. So he says, without a word, they will be won over by observe. Up. That means you can win them over without even running your mouth. They can just up. But we think that I got to tell them. No. You just got to do it. And let them see you do what you say you are. And when they see that, they will come to you. But you can't go home and become another character after you leave here. Amen. Can I read that again? He said, then it will be some refuse. Then if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. See, the problem is we want to speak from the fact that I went to church. I'm godly. I went to church today. You didn't even go. It's evident that church didn't make you godly. Because you come home talking like you are. You've been sitting around here watching this all day. You know, yeah, you see him sitting there, so you ain't got to state that. Leave out the obvious. Encourage him. <laughs> or encourage her. Because some of y'all may marry somebody that's a lady that don't like to go to church. But I found in our culture, 90% of the time, it's the bros. The bros just take a long time for the bros to feel Jesus like you feel him. But you got to live before him in a righteous and godly way. And trust God will change his heart. Amen. It ain't, it ain't time for you to talk about incompatibility. Incompatibility is not grounds <laughs> for divorce. I know some of y'all may disagree, but I'm just saying. I ain't talking about abuse. I ain't talking about all this other stuff. I'm just talking about, you know, he likes fishing. I like gardening. Okay. We just ain't compatible in that area. But y'all got five children. <laughs> there is some compatibility somewhere. <laughs> oh, let me move on, because I know I'm messing around. Now. I know, But see, sometimes you just have to tell it like it is. So without a word, they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. The way you live can influence your spouse. Amen. And that's so important for us as Christians. The way we live can influence the world. We're going to look at that a little bit more next week. But today, I want to end with this. In 1 Peter chapter 2. And so... Uh, Husband, I invite y'all to 
go back and read all of 1 Peter chapter 3. Read the whole thing because he said something to the men in there also. And go back and read that whole Corinthian passage so you can really get a clear understanding of how God sees marriage and how he wants you to make sure that you do everything that you can to stay in a relationship that you're in unless there's some craziness going on. Amen. Pastor Bolton is not one of those guys who, I'm not an old schooler. Honey, just stay with him. One day, he gonna change. You know, no. I don't got hit five weeks in a row. I'm gonna put some distance between me and him till he stop hitting folk. So I'm not talking about if you're in an abusive relationship. I'm talking about if you're in a relationship where, you know, you and your husband just don't agree all the time on some things. No abuse, no mental abuse, no physical abuse, not all that stuff that's messing with your head. I'm just talking about the stuff that just get on your nerves. That don't mess your head up because you still act the way you I know this quiet thing about marriage, man, but marriage is serious. You know, Brother Latham got something going on we've been talking about in the church, and I'm, I guarantee you, if you listen to some of the class he got, he's going to read these same scriptures to you. Amen. And for hundreds of years, this scripture has been debated about that word authority and roles in the family. It's even more so contested now because women are more educated than men now. There are more women on college campuses than men. Women are getting better jobs than men. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. A good thing will change. But because our culture change and allow that, it don't change the roles in the family. You make 100K plus a year, he make 50. When he come, you come home, he's still the authority figure. Don't flaunt your stacks and think because you got the stacks in the rack that you can call all the shots. No, no, no. If he's capable, you got to let him be the authority figure, ladies. I would say, if you, <laughs> I would if, see if I was on social media, I'd say, if you disagree with me and got some heartburn with it, just hit me up on my social. But I ain't got no social, so you can't. <laughs> So don't, don't be sending me no text. You got my phone there. Don't be sending me no text. Just read the passage. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2. We're almost done. 1 Peter chapter 2. Here, as Christians, we should influence non-believers by our honorable behavior. So just like in the family, then also when we're out in the community, in our areas of influence, we got to be able to influence people by our honorable behavior. When we act in a way that is pleasing to God. When we act with integrity, when we live like we got a righteous life, when we strive to be holy, our honorable behavior, your honorable behavior will be able to help you when folks start lying on you. All right. Y'all in the first Peter chapter 2? Look at this verse now. He says, but you are not like that, talking to these new believers, for you are a chosen people. Man, you got to know who you are. You got to know who represents you. Then he tell them, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's own possession. In other words, when I know who I am, and even though this goes back to Israel, but because we are children of God, this also applies to us. He wasn't talking to Jews when he wrote this. This was talking to a young church that was believers that were not necessarily in Jerusalem, were not necessarily Jews. 
And so therefore, he's telling them, hey, look, you got to know who you are. You're a chosen people. You're not just anybody. God chose you. You're a royal priesthood. The reason he would say that now to them because they, in the old system, only the priests could do certain things. Now you're a part of a priesthood because of what Jesus did. You can go to the altar for yourself. You got to realize, hey, my status and my station in life with God has changed all because of what Jesus did, and now I realize who I am. Man, I'm royalty. I'm part of a royal priesthood. I belong to God. He paid for me with a price that I couldn't pay. Then he says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. I'm going to tie this back to what I've been talking about. Husband, wife, when you go home, you got to know you're a part of a royal priesthood. You belong to God. And as a result, you can show your husband or your wife the goodness. So when you go home today, when you get with your husband, your wife, they ain't here with you. When you get to say, babe, I'm just here to show you something. And then all you got to do is say, baby, what does goodness look like to you? Let them define it for you. Jesse, you ain't married yet. These are just pointers for you, man. I see you back there smiling. I hope you're getting it. <laughs> he said, we got to show them the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You got to be the light when you go home. He said, now look. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Man, God was compassionate toward me, so he expects us to be compassionate toward others. We know who we are now. Once we had no identity, but now we have been brought into his family. We know who we are as children of God. He says, now look, dear friends, verse 11, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners here on earth to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Now, that's important. All worldly desires are not necessarily bad. Ain't nothing wrong with you desiring a nice job or a nice car, a nice house. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing wrong with that. Worldly desire for that, a nice house, a nice job. You went to college, you ought to be desiring that. But the key is, do worldly desires War against your soul. So he says, you got to keep away from worldly desires that war against your very soul. Things that come into your life that don't bring you the peace that you're looking for, that don't bring you the joy. Things that come in your life that want to turn you away from who you believe, that is trying to rob you of your very so, and I'm telling you that, he said they're waging war against you. And so those worldly desires that you know are, that are waging war against you, you got to turn away from them things. Amen. Amen. Because if those worldly desires are negative influences, then you're never going to be able to win the person over that you're living with. Because they're going to use those worldly desires against you. How can you come and talk to me about that? And you've been in church all day, and now you come and act like. You see, these desires, the things that we maybe 
want sometimes that don't, we don't need, the desires. You got to determine in your mind when you feel your soul is being vexed by something that's worldly. You got to know that. When you get uncomfortable with certain things that you want to do and your soul start to cry out to you, you got to say, hey, whatever this is, it's warring against something on the inside of me, and I got to do everything in my power not to do it. Verse 12, last one. He says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see, not hear, we can all talk it, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when the, he judges the world. There are some people that's in your circle of influence that is not saved, but it's up to you to live honorable before them, to live like a person of integrity with high moral character. When you live like that before them, then when someone accuses you of something that don't line up with your character, God's going to come to battle for you. So we have an obligation as believers to try to have that influence over family and friends who are not believers. Because we know who we are now, and we know that if they would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they may not realize it right now, but over time, they'll see that that's a relationship that's worth being in. And it starts with you. Start with your households. Start with your own family members. If your witness don't stand up before your children, it ain't going to stand up before somebody you don't know out in the world when you're trying to witness to them. And I would hope that we live before our children in a way that they don't think we're frauds. Where we act honorable from 10 to 12 on Sunday. But in 12, 15, we transform. So our attitude and our conduct all have an impact and has the ability to influence people. So every now and then, you got to allow the Holy Spirit to just check you when you get outside of who God has called you to be. The Bible says you have been called out of darkness. You're not to go back in the darkness and act like you are still you're there to shine the light on the darkness so that they can see the change that God has put in your life. How your life has been totally transformed by the word of God. All of you are influencers in one way or another. And I just pray today that you are a good influencer and not a bad influencer. Amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.